All right. Welcome to the Bank On It podcast. Um, I'm doing a mailbag version of the podcast today, which simply means uh, that I'm just going to be answers from around the sports world. Let's just kick it off. One of the bigger questions, the more involved questions that I got uh, was with such a down year in college basketball, uh, there's a lot of parity. Who are some of the teams that I think could win it all? Um, and, you know, I know a lot of people are late to the party with uh, football going on and, you know, everybody seems all consumed by the NFL. So by this come up with all the stats and all, all the, all the teams that they're, that they're used to looking at they're full and, and follow and see how all the teams are doing. And just a quick rundown of who I think could actually win it. Uh, I'm looking at Kansas, Oklahoma, Michigan State, North Carolina, Maryland, Duke, Kentucky. Uh, some of the teams he run, Xavier, Iowa, um, Texas A&M, and Texas. Uh, you know, analysts, they'll say it's wide open. You know, there, there's a lot of teams that could just – that you're in um, could go all the way. Things could really open up. There could be a lot I think is true. Um, but outside of some of those traditional looking at, I don't think a lot of them could win at all. Like, for example, I don't think Xavier is going to win at all. I don't think Villanova, although they're ranked number one, is going to win at all. Um, just because I've seen in the past, you know, th those teams make deep runs – as you know, what they were doing years ago or five years ago, but every so often these teams make deep runs only to just kind of putter out at the end because they don't have that star power. Um, as I alluded to before, you look at Kansas, uh, they have a veteran team. Uh, they got Wayne Selden, they have Perry Ellis, uh, guys that have been there, guys that are ready to accept the chance. You look at K uh, Oklahoma, they have Buddy Heald, that uh, speaks for itself. He's he's a, a monster. He's capable of carrying a team. Uh, as far as uh, Michigan State, then that when you you know several games on his own. Uh, let's see, North Carolina, they're they're stacked. They still have Marcus Page there, Justin Jackson. Uh, let's see, uh, you know Kennedy Meeks. Um, they got Bryce Johnson. They got a lot of athletes, and um, you know I, I think all the pace that they could win. Uh, when burns me to say uh, they could push to you know Final Four definitely, and maybe win it all depending on what bracket they're in. Uh, Maryland, I like their guard play. Uh, Melo Tremble, uh, Rashid Suleiman, uh, those guys have been around you know at least. Uh, Melo Trimble in his second year, Suleiman, uh, the transfer from Duke. I think he could really uh, – um, or I think they could be one of those teams that could really make a push. Um, and then you get down to, to a couple – with all the trouble that they have had, you know, with injuries, Emil Jefferson's been out. Um, I think that depending on where they are, um, and, and so they usually get a pretty favorable seed – pretty favorable bracket uh, when they do get in 
um, things could really open up for them. And I know, you know it's, it's tough that they've went through the injuries and they've been down. They've been up and down. It's a roller. But they seem to kind of to figure things out. Ran out of gas against Louisville with their press. It's been a bad matchup for them. But if you're putting their five starters up against others, it seems like everybody knows their role there. Um, you have, uh, again, like I mentioned, uh, that's kind of, and have a player. It's going to be more about the players and not the team this year. So if you have a player like Grayson Allen um, and uh, Brandon Ingram who can get hot, um, that's going to go far in this tournament. Uh, you guys, Miles Plum, or not Miles Plumley, uh, Marshall Plumley will do the work down low. You know, he he does he does what he needs to do. He may have you know, you know ten rebounds, four points, six points, but it doesn't matter. That's he, he does his role. Always in high, involved in uh, high picking. Roll on the bench with with Luke Kennard. Those guys who can who can pop in and get you a quick eight to ten points. It's feasible to see possibly win another championship. Uh, you can call me a homer, whatever you like. Since they made the change, he's going to be okay after his soft injury. I think with the backcourt of Tyler Eulis and Jamal Murray, uh, that's pretty tough for any team to, to guard. And then you factor in Isaiah Briscoe, facing that Willis provides. Um, I would also go out on the limb, and, a, and Derek Willis will be – our team can really make uh, a run of, of the – Toughness that they have, and I think that's all behind Eulis. They they kind of follow his lead, and nobody's playing better over the past you know five six games. He's been average averaging twenty plus points, and um, he's been up in double digit assists throughout those games too. Really playing better than him right now, um, and I think that's the team that you could really look at uh, again. Uh, it's got to be a matchup because. You know, their bigs have not been what they had been, you know, yet last year, the year before, um, with those athletic guys. The air has been, you know, kind of uh, down. That He's not what to be. Um, many factors go into that. The guy's still. Um, and then you have Poitras, who's up and down. Um, Willis, who although he can get some rebounds, he's not obviously just an athletic guy who can block shots. He's really not going to body up on anybody. So if they can control, get in transition, those type of things, um, they could win it. And if they get a bad man, they could be out by the second round. You know, it just depends. But I think they can make a run in the championship. But then you go to those to those other teams I was talking about: Xavier, Iowa, Miami, Florida, Texas A&M, Texas. Uh, Texas has some good wins, uh, and they they can get a lot of opportunities in the Big Twelve playing there. Um, but I, I think you know they play at a pace with Shaka Smart that you know everybody's really buying into that. So I think depending on where they are, they can be dangerous um, to make a, a Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight run. Uh, also Xavier, Xavier's. 
that team every you know four or five years it seems like they're they're getting to an elite eight um and then you know they, they kind of run into a steamroller of one of these more athletic teams so those are the teams that i really think can uh can make a run i'm not a big believer in you know teams like villanova or uh virginia where, where people start to get on the on the bandwagon there so um, moving on to the next question I was getting, uh, this is from one of my cousins. He, uh, he was asking me, he's a, a Bengals fan. He's asking me, uh, will Hugh Jackson, excuse me, will Hugh Jackson be able to turn around the Cleveland Browns? And, you know, the f first thing that you're thinking of is, well, it's Cleveland. It's not going to work. And, you know, that's, that place is just condemned. Uh, but I will just mention that Hugh Jackson did lead the Jamarcus Russell-led Oakland Raiders to an 8-8 eight and eight season. So uh, it, it's going to be your definition of turning it around. And when, you're, when you have the second pick in this year's draft, uh, you don't have to do a lot to turn it around. So what are we talking about? Are we talking about immediate turnaround, six wins, seven wins? Are we looking at that? Maybe. Who knows? Uh, I think a lot of that is going to depend on what they do in the draft. If they're going after a quarterback, which I think everybody assumes that they will, uh, maybe targeting Jared Goff there. Um, I think that would be a step that, in the right direction for them. And Hugh Jackson's a, a pretty good offensive coordinator uh, who has some head coaching experience, like I mentioned, in Oakland. So I think if you're looking at the long term, and you're thinking, will this team improve over the years and be a viable and not just a dumpster fire? <laughs> uh, I think, I think the answer is yes. And I think he kind of set the tone with, with saying, "Hey, I'm going to take this job basically if I'm able to control it and not have Johnny Manziel." And I think you're making the statement there that, "Hey, I don't want to have to deal with this headache. I want to coach football." I want to bring some of my guys in um, who understand my system, and you know, over time, it's going to work. So if you if you get a young quarterback, like let's say they go after Golf, uh, and it's his it's his show to kind of run from the beginning, I think Hugh Jackson would be able to kind of mentor him and kind of get through, and you'll see that growth over time. Um, the big question is, I don't have any question that Hugh ja Hugh Jackson will be able to do it. Um, from a football standpoint, what I worry about is that will he have enough time with the uh, with the management in Cleveland? And Cleveland, for the life of me, I, I don't understand what's going on there. They, they want these quick results, um, and they're firing people left and right. You know, Pettin I thought was a, a good coach. You know, what do you have three three years there? Um, off the top of my head, I think think that's the number, but. What are you expecting? I mean, three years. It needs to be a three- to five-year process and for the team and, and depending on the coach. A three- to five-year process, I can understand them wanting to move on from Pettin. Uh, but with Jackson, it's going to be that same type of thing. You're going to have to have that process. You can't quickly fire him after you know one or two seasons because you didn't get the result that you want. If you're going to have – this, you know, if you're going to have an actual needs to be stated, he needs to have a vision before 
he gets there, which I, I think Hugh Jackson does, and, and it's going to have to be laid out in this plan. It can't just be, well, we're going to go nine and seven the first year, and if we don't, then you know you're on the hot seat already. That can't be it. You have to have a plan uh, to get through this stuff, and you know that hasn't been the case in Cleveland, and that's why you see these these turnarounds. They're they're failing in their draft, and that shows you. You know you can't go get Brandon Whedon. You can't go get Johnny Manziel because you're going to be right back in the bottom uh, in the cellar of the National Football League, and you're going to be getting a high draft pick, uh, and you're going to be stuck in the same situation. So, uh, yeah, I think Hugh Jackson can do a good job uh, if he gets some good support from management, uh, but that all, all remains to be seen. Uh, I do feel bad um, you know, for him if he goes there and he gets mistreated uh, because that would be two places, you know. Oakland and Cleveland, my gosh, you know, this, I kind of think of you know, two worst franchises at this point that you would have to take over and, you know, have success just to be shown the door. So I'm really rooting for him. Um, my next question um, I got, and it was, it's kind of going outside the, the traditional sports and some of you may not even consider it a sport, but I don't care what you think. Uh, Wrestling, pro wrestling, is is one of my big um, vices. You know, if if you'd say I give in, I've, I've been watching wrestling forever, my my entire life. So uh, we're gonna go in into this. And the question that I got was, uh, now that WWE Fastlane, which was last night, the pay per view, is in the books, uh, do you see any surprises at WrestleMania? Um, there there have been a lot of injuries that have hit. This year, uh, Seth Rollins is out. John Cena is out. Cesaro is out. Uh, Randy Orton is out. And you know, you're kind of they're kind of scrambling uh, to figure out the situation of what they wanted to do. I think going from last year, they wanted to go and have at WrestleMania 32, which they're trying to build up as you know the king of all pay-per-views. They, they want to fill Cowboy Stadium. And uh, they're trying to trying to pull all the stops out. I think what they wanted to do was was do a triple threat with the Shield, uh, Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, and Seth Rollins. And I think they wanted to build up to that this year. Well, you know, Rollins getting hurt through through that out. Um, and I, I don't I don't know if I really see any surprises. I, I think one of the you're going to have to watch it get played out. Uh, but one of the surprises last night was I was totally expecting uh, Bray Wyatt to get involved in the main event and kind of take out Brock Lesnar and then, you know, then set up that feud for WrestleMania because, you know, Brock has to be a part of it um, as one of the big draws. But we didn't see that. And I was really shocked at that. Uh, but I think what we're going to see play out is I think we're going to have Dean Ambrose go and fight Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, which I think would be good. I, I think, you know, if they have long-term plans uh, for each, for, for Ambrose, then putting him against an unstoppable machine like Brock Lesnar is going to be good. Um, what I think they're trying to do is bide their time until Seth Rollins gets back. And what they've made clear is that they view SummerSlam as their other big pay-per-view of the year, giant pay-per-view. So what I think is going to happen is I think they're going to you know, build him up to maybe go in a rivalry with um, 
Seth Rollins when he gets back, or uh, maybe have that triple threat of the shield that we're talking about that I was alluding to before um, at SummerSlam. So, you know, just a brief rundown of my card. Um, I'll just go over that shortly here. Uh, I think they're, I think they're going to try to riddle in some, some uh, of matches just to keep the, keep the fan entertained. I think they're going to try to pull out all the stops and get uh, as many people packed in there as they can. And I know, you know, the sales, I know that it's been you know, sold out or, you know, very little seats remaining. It, basically the, the seats that they've sold, it's, it, it's all good now. You know, it's, it's, it's all set. They're not looking to, to scrounge out a lot of the stuff because the, the plans have been set. So um, what I think is going to happen is I think, you know, they're going to have the Andre, Andre uh, the giant battle Royal, which they always do. And that's usually one of the jump off spots where you get some young talent in there. Um, and I think that will be won by Baird Corbin. And I think he is just, waiting to explode. I think he, he doesn't really have anything left to prove in NXT. And I think he's going to go up uh, and really show some people some things. I think he's waiting to, to kind of make that, that jump to the, to the main roster. And I think winning um, the Andre, the giant battle Royal is, is kind of a good way to propel him to some momentum. Um, next, I think you're going to have, a match like uh, Big Show and, and Braun Strowman. I, I didn't really like Strowman when he got in here. Uh, he was one of those big guys that I don't really like. It's just slow. It's not a lot of action with him. Um, but, you know, from, from what everybody says, it looks like he's really coming along in the ring. Um, and there there was talk about him facing The Undertaker, which, you know, he, he's not ready for that. And once those rumors started to come out, the fans were really disappointed. So you see that it kind of got shot down really quick. Uh, so I think, you know, Big Show would be good for him to kind of go against uh, kind of both similar styles. Um, and Big Show could really kind of tutor him and, and show him some things, kind of get him over. Uh, then I think you see um, usually they have a ladder match. Over the past several years, they have a ladder match for the Intercontinental title. I think what they're going to do this year is go – uh, and do that for the U.S. title. That's one of those gimmick matches. With the ladder match, you, you kind of get you know a lot of people involved. You get a lot of action, and I think that really gets the crowd into it. Uh, you obviously have the, the champion, Kalisto. I think you're going to mix in guys like Dolph Ziggler, um, Neville. Um, you know, you, you can throw it several different ways um, and just kind of put some of those guys that you don't really have a place for in there uh, just to be competing uh, and kind of get – get some fans involved there uh, with a lot of action. Um, the next one I have is, is the, uh, the new day uh, versus the league of nations. I think we kind of saw that play out last night. Um, I don't really know what to think about that. I don't really like the league of nations. It just seems like a clutter of, of people uh, that they don't really have anything to do right now. So they're putting them together. They, they don't have a lot of single stuff for them to do. So they're putting them all together. Uh, but the new day is awesome. You know, they're great on the mic. They, they get the fans involved. They're, they're the best heel tag team that, that WWE has right now. And there's, I don't really see them losing their momentum uh, at this point. So um, next I have the women's title. And, you know, it's not a really, really a big shocker here. Um, 
Becky Lynch, uh, Sasha Banks, and Charlotte. That's going to be one heck of a women's match. Um, they're they're very athletic. Uh, they're going to keep you keep you entertained. Uh, a lot of high flying, uh, a lot of you know, technical wrestling. They can even do that. Uh, these these women are great, uh, and I think it's really a, a big punch in the arm for uh, for the guys that they're saying, "Hey, you know, we're here." And um, I, I think that can kind of motivate some of the guys to say, "Look at what these what these women are doing down here." And when they started to make the the diva divas revolution. Uh, many months ago, you know, you're kind of looking at this thinking, oh, this isn't going to work. But with the influx of talent from NXT and, and what was already on the roster, uh, it looks like they can really, really make a push for uh, for doing so. Um, next, I would have Kevin Owens and AJ Styles. Uh, Kevin Owens, you can put him with anybody. He's one of the top heels. Uh, and then AJ Styles. I think it's going to work really well with with Kevin Owens kind of mocking uh, AJ Styles for being you know phenomenal and you know all this stuff. He, he's going to come out and uh, he's going to really trash talk him and do all that stuff. And I think you know the the contrast in Styles where Kevin Owens is very uh, powerful. He's uh, he's just kind of he's just kind of dirty. He'll, he'll knock you down, just throw you around, really use those power moves against you. And then you have AJ Styles with his with his high flying, he got his kicks, his uh, springboards off off the ropes, and hitting him with the forearms and everything. I think it's a really good contrast in styles, uh, and I think they would really work well off each other. Um, next, I would have Dean Ambrose and Brock Lesnar, and I think this is one of those times where you can uh, sprinkle in one of those uh, gimmick matches and you would put Ambrose and Brock in a no disqualification match. Uh, and I think that's one of the ways that you can have Ambrose win and propel him to say he beat Brock Lesnar, but you don't lose as much with Brock Lesnar not getting pinned, things things like that, or, you know, have Dean Ambrose use the stairs or use, you know, a weapon to kind of knock him out. So Brock Lesnar has an excuse uh, for why he didn't just straight up lose to somebody because you, because they build Brock up so much um, to be this uh, destructive force that if you have one man, no matter who he is, beat him, you know it kind of lessens that. And there's a time and place for that, but but I think right now you would uh, you would use Dean Ambrose and just kind of put him in no DQ where where anything goes, and he can use you know basically the kitchen sink to to beat Brock Lesnar. So. Uh, I think that's going to happen, and I think Brock's going to take some time off after that. I think this is one of those points in the year where he does mania, and he just kind of, you know, takes some time, probably in his contract, where he just kind of relaxes, gets his body right, and then uh, comes back more toward the bigger pay-per-view in uh, August of SummerSlam to uh, to really make a push and a feud w- with somebody else. So uh, I think that would be a good spot for that. And I think that builds up Ambrose to again, go to SummerSlam to, to maybe involved in, you know, a heel turn with, with Roman Reigns or, or uh, uh, Seth Rollins, like I alluded to before. Uh, The one place that I can see a surprise is where you have the undertaker. We know the undertaker has been doing this for years where he just shows up and, uh, 
does WrestleMania. And, and, and again, sounds like he's in really good shape. Um, they started to, to shoot down some of the names that were going to be involved with him. I think I alluded to, to Braun Strowman earlier. They don't want that. Um, I think they were kind of saying that the person that he's going to fight is not yet on the roster is what we've heard or will soon be. Um, so I'm thinking that they bring back Sting, and that's what I want to see. That's what a lot of the fans want to see. Uh, and that's just one of those generational battles that, you know, from separate companies, the guy that's a, the guys that have carried their respective country or excuse me, company um, taker with the WWE and sting with uh, WCW. I think that those two uh, would be one of those things that everybody has to see it. And that's what you want where they're trying to fill all those seats. Like I mentioned earlier uh, in, in Dallas that they want these monumental names, these, these big time names that everybody knows. Um, to come out. So I think putting sting in there, assuming that he's healthy after those back issues and those neck issues that he had from that turnbuckle power bomb from, from Seth Rollins. Um, if he's healthy, which, you know, I, I don't know for sure. Uh, that would be the spot. That would be my dream book. You'd want to see. Uh, another thing is that they could flex John Cena in there to fight taker. Um, uh, John Cena had some some shoulder excuse me shoulder surgery, um, and they were thinking that he could be back for WrestleMania. I don't know if I would push that. If it's any any thought of it or any doubt surrounding it, I would not do it because Cena's your your landmark guy. You you can put him in any spots. He's always been there for the company, uh, and you don't want to sacrifice a guy who's who's not healthy. Uh, in that situation. So again, Taker and Cena would be good. You have, you know, the new, the new generation, uh, and then you have the old generation with, with Taker. I think that would be a good spot, assuming that Cena was healthy. Um, Cena's a freak. He's 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 a guy who who re rejuvenates. It seems like when he has the, when he has these injuries, and he's several months ahead of schedule. Whenever he gets hurt, so that could be a spot that they're saving there. Um, I think that would be either either two. Excuse me. Either of those guys to go up against Taker would be really good. Uh, I think that would get a lot of uh, people interested uh, and ready to see that. So uh, the other thing, the the championship match that I see, that's no surprise there. I think it's Triple H, uh, Roman Reigns. Um, you're gonna have a stipulation in this match. I, I would say, you know, maybe Hell in a Cell or a cage match um, after Roman Reigns beat up Triple H several months ago and kind of took him out. Um, I think that that would be a good spot. I, I think it's one of these things where you just put him in there and let him, let him go at it. And I think a, a cage match or a hell in a cell uh, would be good. I know that having an entire pay-per-view as hell in a cell like they do now, uh, they're kind of reluctant on spots to put it throughout the year. So I don't know if they would go that route, but I think, I think what, what we're going to do is we're going to see that classic triple H where, you know, he's pulling out the sledgehammer. I think, I think he's going to pull out all the stops against Roman Reigns to try to, try to you know, destroy him. So uh, I think you're going to see that. So, you know, assuming that, you know, they do a, they do an Ambrose Brock, no DQ. I don't think you're, you're obviously not going to do that two times in the same pay-per-view. So, I could see a no DQ uh, if they didn't do it in the Ambrose Brock match. Um, 
but I, I really think they're gonna they're gonna do something like a cage or a hell in a cell there. Um, so that would be my card. Um, you know, I'm, I'm leaving Bray Wyatt off there. I don't really know where they're gonna flex him in at. Uh, maybe the the battle royal, the Andre battle royal, maybe in the um, U.S. title match. I don't know. Uh, it kind of really threw me off there uh, when they didn't have him get interfered with last night. So uh, that was my little sidetrack for wrestling. And if you didn't like it, too bad. I'm going to be doing some more wrestling podcasts. Uh, me and probably uh, Sean Lowe uh, will we'll do something here in the future with that. So for all those wrestling people that, that like that little quick snippet, um, good. If you didn't like it, you don't have to listen to it. So uh, the next question, we're going to go back to one of the major sports in the NBA. Um, and this is a big question that's been going on all year in the NBA. Will the Warriors beat the 72 and 10 mark that the Bulls had uh, back in 96? And my question or my, my answer to that would be probably uh, yes, they, they probably will but that doesn't make them better than the 96 bulls. Um, I've talked to people, you know, Steph Curry's great. Clay Thompson's great. Draymond green is, is fabulous. We see him do things that, uh, that a person his size and with his build should not be doing. Uh, but I will just say you have Michael Jordan, you have Scottie Pippen, you have Dennis Rodman, you have Tony Kukoc was what, excuse me, one of the best European or foreign players that the league has ever seen. Uh, he was one of the one of those original guys, uh, one of those stretch fours types who could, you know, do pretty much anything you want to. He could he could score uh, in loads, and I think he's really underrated when you factor that in. You go to the bench, uh, you know, even even go to point guard there. You, you have Ron Harper, who is, is a very good defensive player, uh, and then you had uh, Steve Kerr coming off the bench, and then you got bigs like Luke Longley who can who can hold his weight there. Uh, obviously, from an athletic standpoint, you know the uh, the bigger, stronger, you know, faster kind of guys there would would probably eat up Luke Longley. I think we all understand that. But if you look at the the seventy two and ten Bulls, they had you know, Rodman, like I mentioned, Pippen, Jordan. Those guys were incredible. There were nine times. You know, each of them had. Uh, nine years where they were on the NBA all defensive team. And that tells you for the consistency they had on a year, year in and year out basis to not only score in the offense. Well, you know, Rodman didn't score, you know, hardly any, um, but the other two guys to play both ends of the floor to, for Pippen to be, you know, the kind of second guy, obviously to Michael Jordan to be his kind of uh, co-pilot there. And then to be just as versatile and just as stout on defense, that's really saying something. So you can, you can throw out all the offense with Clay Thompson and, and Steph Curry, but what happens when you put one or two of the greatest defenders uh, in NBA history on them? You know, we're obviously never going to get to know that. And that's why these things are fun to debate, but, I think if you put those guys on there, they have to run the offense out further. Um, you can switch a lot on Steph Curry uh, and kind of push him out there and not let him get those pick and rolls to fire up those long-range threes that he would normally get. Um, so I, th I think when you switch off and keep him out where he can't get that space, 
you really throw a wrench in to uh, to what Golden State tries to do, and that's what we've seen. Uh, we've seen some of those teams that have had success against them do that, where they're not having to constantly switch and give that space to uh, the open shooters. So, you know, as far as playing, could they could they beat the seventy two and ten Bulls? Absolutely. Could they win a seven game series against them? Not a shot. They, they it might be four one. Um, they're they're not beating those guys four times uh, in a, in a given time period. That's just not going to happen. Um, you know, that's that's my personal opinion. Obviously, again, like I said before, we're never going to get to know that, which is a a sad sad shame. I'm pretty sure Michael Jordan probably thinks he can still get out there uh, and show him a thing or two, which is fine. That is the type of competitor that he is. But you do have the greatest basketball player of all time uh, in that game, and push comes to shove, he's going to do it. Uh, the size, let's say he went and guarded, or Steph Curry went to guard Michael Jordan. I mean, you got to be kidding me. He, he's he's going to take him down in the post and just abuse him in the post. You want to put Clay Thompson out there? Okay, great. Who's going to guard Scottie Pippen? You want to put Draymond Green there? Okay, who's going to guard Tony Kukoc? It just it just doesn't really work for me on the defensive end, which I think uh, Chicago would match up very well on the defensive end and be able to make those adjustments uh, with the kind of dual players that they have. So uh, that being said, I think Golden State's going to win the championship. I don't I don't see these teams. You know, you're you're playing for second place. The, this team is in that era right now where you where you saw the Lakers. You know, in their three-peat time or those back-to-back Laker times, um, I think you're seeing that type of team right now, and it's just their time. You know, the, it may go on to next year. It may not with with free agency and things like that. Um, but I think this is just their time right now where the Clevelands, the, uh, the San Antonios, even though they've made adjustments, those type of things, and they're healthier now, uh, they could – they could play them. It's, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Cleveland just because they have little resistance in the East. Their benefit. They don't have to play San Antonio. They don't have to play, you know, the Thunder who, who can match up decently, even though uh, the, the Thunder really can't play defense. I think that's a bad matchup for them. But I think little resistance uh, from the e Cleveland again. You're going to see a rematch last year. And... Uh, the Golden State's obviously going to have home home court, so uh, I think you see that again, and I think you see much of the same thing, even with Kyrie, a healthy Kyrie Irving, a healthy Kevin Love. Barring any major injuries, if those team two teams go up, I think the depth and the pace that the Warriors play with is not a good matchup uh, for LeBron. I know, you know, the the better the better part of that is, you know, if, if you're going to start out. And put LeBron James at the at the small forward position. Uh, that's not a recipe for for good things happening. I think Kyrie, if you move him to the two and then let uh, LeBron focus on the one and be the point guard, I think that's that's better situation for them. Where where you get Kevin Love with catch and shoot opportunities, Kyrie Irving with ca- catch and shoot opportunities, uh, and let LeBron be the facilitator. I think that plays to be uh, better for them. But I still don't think think it gets them a championship or gets them past the Warriors. So uh, the beautiful thing about that is we're probably going to get to see it happen. Uh, so that kind of takes the reins over the 72 and 10 Bulls against this year's Warriors um, because we actually get to see it. But 
if you're asking me, um, I'm going to take the Bulls all the way because of MJ and, and Pippen. Um, the last thing um, that I'm getting, the, the fifth question that we're getting to um, is in the NFL. And it'll be talking about the Cowboys. You know, this is just my personal question that I threw in there because uh, we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of hype about what they're going to do with the fourth pick. I think we see a lot of people kind of hinting around them going and getting a quarterback. And I, I just don't see it. I, I don't, I, I can't justify them going and getting a guy at four to sit behind Tony Romo for two, three years uh, that high. You know, I know you look at people like the Packers who did it and, you know, them getting Aaron Rodgers and having him sit behind um, Brett Favre, excuse me, Brett Favre as the heir apparent, and I just don't see it. That the that's 18 picks. You know, they they picked at 22 that year, and it's a lot different. It's a lot different situation because the Cowboys have a lot of needs right now, especially on the defensive end, um, that they need to address. And you do that with high draft picks. Now, I'm not saying that they won't pick a quarterback in this draft. But obviously, they should. Uh, a guy that can sit behind Romo, um, a guy like, let's see, you know, you know, Paxton Lynch, he's probably going to go higher. You know, you, you have what looks like the second guy now in, in Wentz, and then you have Jared Goff. Th those are probably your, your top three. But what, what about guys like Connor Cook? What about guys like Kevin Hogan, Dak Prescott, you know, as, as a project, um, Cardell Jones? What about those guys later, the, the guys that you can string along and maybe have a lot of upside? You, you see you see what Jones can do as far as, you know, the arm strength, the power that he has, the, the versatility uh, in the run game. I think that might be a good spot for him. And then you kind of let him sit back and kind of gather and do the studying that it takes uh, to be an effective passer. Connor Cook I really like. Uh, you know, the arm strength is a question there with him, with, especially with the sh shoulder injuries. But I think he's smart enough. Uh, he's, he could be one of those guys that is a change-up. And he's, he's going to be one of those guys in the league that's not going to hurt you. But I think he's going to take um, he's going to take some time to develop, and he's going to be a, a quality starter eventually in the league. Um, same thing with Hogan. I think Hogan's been around. He's been a starter you know, at Stanford, and I think just being in that system, getting um, understanding, you know, the system, he's already had that experience sitting there waiting behind an Andrew Luck uh, for his time. So I think that would be a good situation. So any of those guys I think would be would be good, and there's no need to, to waste your, your top four pick for a guy to sit on the sidelines when you have other glaring needs. And those glaring needs are on the def defensive line at defensive end. Um, middle linebacker or outside linebacker, uh, corner. These, you know, the secondary. They, they've been looking. I think what they want to do in the secondary. I think they're gonna. I don't know. They they may hold on to Barry Church. Um, he he provides a lot of leadership on that team, and I think that's an undervalued aspect. Um, but I think what they want to do is use Byron Jones, their rookie from last year, specifically. Uh, at safety, although he can play safety and corner. Um, you do get back uh, Orlando Skandrick off the torn ACL, which is great. He's, he's one of the best slot guys last year, uh, and then he can play uh, on the end too uh, as a corner. 
So, you know, I think assuming that he's healthy, you have a building block there. But then you're probably going to lose Brandon Carr because Brandon Carr makes way too much money for the for the amount uh, of production he's getting on the field. So I think you probably are going to save some money with him uh, and cut him. Uh, maybe cutting uh, Morris Claiborne, which, you know, cutting two of your basically your starters uh, at corner last year, that's going to be tough. So I think they're going to go heavy in the secondary or maybe bring somebody in, uh, a veteran. Uh, but they're probably looking at a brand new um, secondary. Maybe three-fourths of their secondary is going to be new. Uh, and then you have the news with Randy Gregory getting um, suspended for the first four games. Their their defensive end that they, they took last year with their second pick, uh, even with those question marks that they had him about uh, marijuana before, uh, he gets busted. Uh, not a smart thing by him. Obviously, you know, you don't want the, the – the performance enhancing drugs or the recreational drugs. You don't want your guys uh, delving into that stuff, but you know, you had the history of it and the Cowboys don't have anybody to blame, but themselves on that. They took a chance and in the early goings, it looked like it backfired. Now, can he change for the future? Maybe, um, but they need to cover themselves and going out and getting a guy like Joey Bosa at, at number four, if he's there, I think that would be great. Uh, yes, I am aware, as people pointed out to me on Twitter when I tweeted it, um, that Bosa was suspended for a drug incident at Ohio State. I'm well aware, but I do think that Bosa has a little bit more sense than Randy Gregory. Just from my own viewing, uh, I think he has a little bit more sense than him. And I don't think it's going to be a long-term problem uh, like it seems to be. Um, for Randy Gregory. I think Bosa was more of an isolated incident. I'm not naive enough to believe that he, that was the first time he smoked or, you know, he doesn't do it on a, on a pretty consistent basis. But what I do think is that Joey Bosa is probably not stupid enough to fail a planned drug test uh, like Randy Gregory did. So I would go Bosa there if he's, if he's still there. Um, You got, you got guys like Miles Jack, uh, linebacker that you could look at. Um, you, they really like what they're doing with Sean Lee at outside linebacker. They do not want him taking the amount of hits that he's taking um, that seem to put him out year in and year out at the uh, middle linebacker position. So they want to keep him out of the middle. They want to use him on the outside. Uh, a guy like Jack can be uh, versatile there. He can, he can play uh, outside, inside, and I think he can be uh, he can be one of those guys that you slot in there. Could it be a little too high at four? Eh, maybe. I think you really got him in the you know eight to ten range, depending on the person or the team. But if you have him valued that high, you take the guy that you that you want. Um, then in the secondary, if they decide to go at um, number four and go cornerback, they have Jalen Ramsey and they have Vernon Hargraves. Uh, either of those guys, pretty athletic. Um, I think, I think you would be getting a, a very good player with a lot of ball skills there. I, I think, you know, you're going for the young. I don't know. I've always been a guy where you want to bring in veterans, especially back in the secondary, um, just because they understand the pace of the game a little bit better. So it's a risky transition for me. Um, risky proposition or, you know, for them to make that transition quickly in the NFL. So you see guys like Drake Kirkpatrick, 
for example, just spouting off at the top of my head, his first year in Cincinnati was horrendous. Uh, and then you kind of see him coming around, making making some plays. Uh, but just the pace of the game, the quickness of the game uh, is tough for those guys in the secondary, especially with the with the uh, more teams going to a, a high-paced passing offense. Um, you see a lot of those guys struggle early. Uh, but, you know, it's – the coaches understand that, but you just kind of project for what these guys are going to give you uh, for maybe the next decade, you know, depending on what happens. So you know, I think that would be a spot. So you're looking heavy on defense there. Um, and you can get guys later as far as quarterback goes. And who knows? They may not choose to go um, with a quarterback in this draft. I think that would be a mistake. But if you're if you're just trying to bridge the gap there, if you don't think you're starter for the next eight to 10 years is in this draft. Don't get him. It's not worth it. Take the, uh, take the player that you need to help you out right now and then develop them or bring in a guy like Drew Stanton, bring in a guy like Colt McCoy um, that aren't those huge names, but they've been in that position before to where a Romo goes out or a Carson Palmer goes out. They step in and with the rep weapons around them, after they've been taught the, the system, they go in there and they do their job and they win you a couple games until your quarterback gets, uh, you know, gets back from injury. Hopefully nothing happens to Tony Romo um, because at this point he was, he was like operation last year. He was just falling apart. Um, and that's what they avoided the year before where they made that, that playoff run. So, you know, I think it would be a giant mistake to go quarterback at number four. I, I think that's just, horrible. I, I think the middle rounds are where you want to do that. Um, and I just don't buy it. I, I think people still think it's, it's Jerry Jones being a renegade and just doing whatever he wants to, but Hey, he didn't get Johnny Manziel last year. And that's because his son, uh, and Jason Garrett make a lot of the player personnel moves now. And it's, you know, you, you think of the face as Jerry Jones and he does have a lot of decisions on, bringing people in. Um, but as far as the draft goes, that's why you've seen this turnaround, turnaround in the offensive line where you, you go heavy on the offensive line and run game. Uh, that's Jason Garrett. And, and that can't be understated. Jason Garrett is a, um, as much as people want to say, he's not really a, a great coach. He's a great personnel guy. He has an understanding of who he wants, uh, who's going to buy in as far as that goes. Um, and those guys really project for for the future where where you see the the trouble is when guys like you know Greg Hardy get brought in on forced basically forced upon uh, Jason Garrett and that's where you see more of Jerry Jones moves coming in uh, and that's that obviously didn't work out last year and they're gonna cut ties with him and that's more of an issue where you need some stability on the on defensive line. So I think even more so if Bosa was there, you would go ahead and take Bosa at four uh, just to give a guy um, who's going to produce, put him along DeMarcus, excuse me, along with DeMarcus Lawrence to have a pretty good young edge rush. And then you have when Gregory comes back, you can kind of see where he fits in there as well. So I think that projects pretty well, but I just don't see a quarterback right now uh, coming off the board that high for the Cowboys. I sure hope not. If, if they do decide to do that, I, I just think it's a, a huge mistake that they could have waited um, longer as far as that goes. So as long as they don't bring in Johnny Manziel, I'm good. Uh, I hope uh, I hope they stray away from that and don't look as it, 
look at it as a, a second opportunity to bring him in. But as far as what he's done in this offseason, I think he's got bigger fish to fry. He needs to uh, get himself under control before a team's willing to take a chance on him. So I think they dodged a bullet by that happening. Uh, unfortunate for him, but you know, probably better for the Cowboys in their situation. But um, just to go back and kind of wrap it up with this question, I, I think that the Cowboys do not by any circumstances go with uh, a quarterback at four. I think they wait to the middle rounds or try to scoop somebody up and in uh, free agency. So that was my mailbag version of bank on it. Um, you know, give me some feedback on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Matt banks 12 and um, you can, you can tweet me what you thought of this, or you can tweet me some of the questions. You can follow me on Facebook um, and just provide me some of those questions that you want to hear. Any topic is, is up. Uh, you know, I want to talk NBA. I'll talk MMA. I'll talk WWE uh, college both football, basketball, talk MLB, anything you want, NBA, anything you guys want. I'm open to this, and we're going to look to make this a, uh, a weekly staple. I'll mix in some other podcasts, but I really want to kind of go through a mailbag. Uh, I'll touch on your own teams if you want to as far as, you know, kind of delving into to, to specific teams. I'll, I'll do anything you want, but uh, just to kind of kind of get some of these questions under, um, you know, more of the the ones that, a lot of people want to focus on. So just kind of the ones that I get tweeted the most, or uh, I find most intriguing. Uh, those are the ones I'll go with and maybe have, you know, like this five questions, seven questions, uh, just depending on how much feedback I get. Um, I'll go into that. So tweet me your questions, your thoughts, uh, what you thought about this. I know I need to stop saying, um, <laughs> as much as I do, uh, but we'll get over that in the future. Um, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, and this is another uh, Bank on It podcast. Thank